In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All of chapter 8 of the Gospel of St. John reveals our Lord and His divinity being hidden in plain sight. From the start of it and His being approached after praying on Mount of Olives, He goes to the temple and a group finds Him and brings to Him the woman caught in the sin of adultery in a way that even escapes our attention, perhaps, he exercises his divinity. Woman, where are they that accuse thee? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither will I condemn thee. Go and now sin no more. Now, St. John is, is writing rather briefly. He gives extended sections of the Last Supper, certainly not a verbatim, but perhaps there were more words exchanged, but not necessarily. In the midst of this elegant phrase, he's forgiven her her sins. It's like a priest coming to someone who's unconscious and needs the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, or the anointing of the sick and the apostolic pardon, which we still should call the last rites. And he says, through this holy anointing, may the Lord in his love and mercy help you with the grace of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord who frees you from sin save you and raise you up. And without even referring directly to, I absolve you of your sins, the sins are taken away. We know as the Gospels unfold that she was forgiven her sins, forgiven many sins. The conversation that ensues from that, and they're trying to catch him in something they can use as justification for, for putting him on trial, shows our Lord again and again revealing his divinity, but hiding it at the same time. You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I go and you shall seek me and you shall die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. He says to them, neither me do you know, nor my father. If you did know me, perhaps you would know my father also. And then those beautiful and mystical words, before Abraham was, I am. To those who are seeking him and can recognize him, it's it's a profound expression. Now we can look at it and say, obviously, he's God. Of course, before Abraham was, he is. But to those who aren't seeking the truth, to those who are, who are already convinced that he's bad, because he doesn't observe their customs, they find reason to be scandalized. They find blasphemy. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father that glorifies me, of whom you say that he is your God. Our Lord hides himself. He deliberately hides himself so that he will only be found by those who seek him. 
so that he will be recognized by those who love him and by nobody else. The statues are covered. Uh, I admit the station should be covered, the relic should be covered as well, but most things are covered. These last two weeks of Lent, the covering of the statues is, is for our benefit. In one sense, it's a, it's a prolongation of Good Friday when we cover everything, remove everything, we remove everything sacred to experience the emptiness of the world with the death of Christ. But in a real way, which assists us practically, it forces us to seek him and not to, not to have his, his easy company, not to be so easily consoled by, without making any effort. But we, we will be consoled by him when we seek him out. We will find rest in him when we, when we give our heart to him. Being in proximity to him is not necessarily of, of any assistance to us. The people who, who hated him were in his proximity. They heard his voice. They ate the, the fish and the loaves that he multiplied. It's hard to imagine being closer than that. But their hearts were closed to him. What I'd encourage you to do, in addition to being more deliberate about your prayers, is, is to recognize God having come into your life, God having come into the world. It's on a, on a grand scale and even on the on the simplest of scales. Now, some people are easy to ascribe everything to God. Sometimes um, too haphazardly. Others are believers, but still don't, don't have their eyes open to the divine in the everyday. A simple, silly little example. Thursday, I saw my brother in Annandale, and on the way back, for whatever reason, I was just nudged internally just to go to the, to the dealership. Um, I have a <clears throat> great fondness for my truck. I don't, I've never preached about my truck, ever, I don't think. Uh, but it's a great truck. It's got 215,000 miles, has the original clutch. It's a great truck, but... Um, you know, I don't, I would never want to advertise <clears throat> sort of crass and tacky. So I took it to Bill Page Toyota on Thursday <laughs> and had to deal with all sorts of old recall notices over the years, over a decade. I've been receiving these recall notices from the factory for um, a few different things. And the one that's notable is uh, rust on the, on the frame. And I've heard of people who had the service done and liked it, others who didn't, and I've hesitated because, you know, I like my truck imperfect. It's, it's perfect in its imperfection. But nevertheless, I, um, I just went. 
went to the service desk, gave him the, the VIN, and on the screen popped up all the, all the recall notices, and the, the, the recall for the frame rust, which has been active for a decade at least, expires in one month. And it's, it's of no great significance, but it's an example of God just saving us from our stupidity. And it, it, it's, it's a little thing. God doesn't only, God loves us in more ways than just simply in sending his son for our salvation. God loves us and comes to us in little ways. Sometimes by fixing something, healing something, curing someone. Sometimes by preventing something from happening. Other times by accompanying us in our suffering, letting a mishap take place so that we search for him, so that we seek him out. There, there can be a way that, that those of us who have an interior life and those of us who see God, uh, especially in the sacred liturgy, can sometimes be um, purists. Here's an example. The church never mandates that a miracle be believed. The, never, the church never mandates that a miracle or an apparition be recognized. It'll condemn some, and others it'll grant the status of being worthy of belief if you so choose. But not even the church can restrain herself, because there are those moments in history where the church is, is, is over, overwhelmed with God's intervention. The Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary, right? It's the, the church celebrates the, the victory over the navies at the Battle of Lepanto. Islam threatening Europe. Of course, we're celebrating Our Lady under a particular title, but we're celebrating an historical event. We don't typically, the, the Roman calendar isn't full of those examples. They're actually notably few. But it's an example of how the church has one miracle, one intervention for all of us to believe, and that is our Lord's incarnation, his death, his resurrection, and ascension into heaven and yet the, not even the church can, can withhold, can, can restrain herself in, in um, celebrating only that moment of history. Or Our Lady of Fatima as a liturgical feast day. An anomaly. Our Lady of Guadalupe. Another anomaly. A puzzle and a, and a distraction for some people who... Um, see it as a uh, departure from the rules uh, of the sacred liturgy, but still fascinating. In your own life, God intervenes, and he intervenes in a way in which he still seeks to remain hidden. He enters into your life and yet still needs to be sought after to be recognized. Our Lord didn't come to glorify himself. Our Lord was masking his divinity almost without fail. At times it came out in forgiving a sin. 
in speaking of his relationship with the Father and saying that he's older than Abraham. And yet, that's, that's our Lord hiding in plain view. And our, our, our daily life admits of those moments when God intervenes directly, specifically, decisively. Those moments of the sacraments of anointing happen a few times a week here. But it's dozens, hundreds of absolutions where God acts. Every time the Mass is offered, God acts. He intervenes. He didn't have to come into the world. He chose to do so. Your life is, is your, the timeline of your life is marked by all of these moments when God acts. God comes into your life. And yet, it's so easy for us to experience it as something um, of, of immediate benefit to myself. I feel better. And that, that just scratches the surface. Do I realize that I just encountered God? Christ just came to me. We drive by the church. Do we, do we see the, the, the profile of the church and, and recognize that therein is an altar where mass is offered and a tabernacle where the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ dwells? It's a monument to God intervening in human history. And yet, hidden in plain view... And the next step is obvious. God enters into you through the sacraments, changed you, indelibly changed you in baptism and confirmation. You are an instance of God having intervened in the world, like a church with legs walking around and a church that talks. Some people will realize God has touched you. They have been visited by Christ and having come into contact with you, and others won't. So we ask the Lord, as as another veil is put down between us, that we seek him all the more, that we are that much more convinced that he comes to us, that he reveals himself to those who search for him. He gives Comfort to those who love him. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.